Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Isn't it awesome on a day like today to come and worship? I am so appreciative of the the worship team and, and the songs that that the Spirit directed them to sing this morning. Uh, I know for myself, I hope as well for you, that your hearts were, were drawn in into the presence of God and, um, and reflection on the cross. And you know, that is just one aspect of worship. I want to I start with another aspect of worship this morning, and um, it's tithes and offerings. And to introduce the tithes and offerings, you know, I want to tell you a little story, personal testimony of mine. Um, Growing up in a Christian home and watching my dad sacrificially give time and time again, you know, there was one aspect, though, that he never verbally communicated and instilled on our hearts the importance of the why. He just said, you have to do this. But there was no real explanation of the why. And so... You know, um, growing up, getting married, and, and, and you know, when you're first married, sometimes finances are a little tight, and, and, and it doesn't always reach to the end with all the bills and whatnot. Um, even, you know, Colleen and I both kind of come from the same background, same, same concepts. And we were at a, a special event, I think it was, or a special service where they were talking specifically about tithing. And I was convicted, and, and Colleen was as well. And um, we, we were talking about it afterwards. How, like, how can we add to all this a tithe yet? And yet, the concept is, is that, you know, test me in this and see if it's not true. And so we began making the tithe the first priority, not the last priority, to see if there's any money left over after all the bills. But we paid our tithe first. And you know, an incredible thing happened. And um, time after time after time, there was always enough. You know, and I remember having issues with the car and and we're like, okay, now how are we going to pay for this? You know, maybe we shouldn't tithe this month. No, we have to tithe. We tithed and... And when you get and you kind of balance your books at the end of the month, so many times I'd scratch my head. I was like, how did we have enough? But God. But God. And so I want to encourage you. Make tithing your first priority. Your first priority. And, and honestly, like, I know logically... It doesn't work, but God's not logical. He's supernatural. And he has a way, he has a way of making it work. And so we give honor and glory to God with our tithes. There's multiple ways in which you can tithe. Um, And if I don't see it in the screen, I know, there you go. Thank you guys. Cash, checks, which can be left 
in the buckets at the back at the end of the service. You can do it at the Welcome Center. Um, you can also uh, do an e-transfer as it's indicated there. Father God, I just want to give you the honor and the glory for everything that you bless us with, Father God. Everything that we have is yours. And so it's not like we're actually giving it to you because it's already yours. And so we entrust, Father God, as an act of sacrifice, as an act of worship, Father God, we entrust to you that which really belongs to you. And we say, thank you, Father God. We surrender our lives to you. We come before you, dying to self, to our own ways. And we say, use this, work through this. Bless it, Father God, for your honor and for your glory. And all God's people said. I, um, I look around and, and I see, you know, the extra crosses, the arise, um, the display in the back. And uh, my heart, my mind just automatically go to a reflection of the Easter season, which we are representing. Uh, we're, we're here because of the Easter season and what Jesus Christ did for us. But I want to ask you, when you take a look at the three crosses over there, um, obviously, you know, the center cross, uh, the cross of Jesus Christ, and the criminals on either side, when you look at that, what, which of the three crosses resonates with you most? Okay, I'm hearing a variety of responses, timid responses, not bold and loud, um, but that's okay. Um, so I did ask a few people uh, prior, and not all the responses, but the majority of the responses, actually, um, the center cross of Jesus Christ is where you know, the mind naturally goes and everything that Jesus Christ did for us. And, and so when we come to an Easter season, naturally in our minds, we want to focus and we want to think about the cross of Christ. We want to think and focus about what Jesus Christ did for us, right? And, and um, you know, as something that we can enjoy the blessing of. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is not the cross of Jesus Christ, but I want to talk to you about the crosses on either side. You know, we all understand that the cross represents death and dying. The message title for this morning is Dying. And, um, you know, when Pastor RJ was sharing uh, the series that we've been going through, and, uh, and I saw dying, I says, pick me, pick me, I want to do that one. And he looks at me and he says, really? Yes, I do. And, you know, it wasn't even that much long ago, I think it was a little over a month ago, uh, playing pickleball with, you know, so many people from the community, sitting down, um, one, of the, uh, one of the ladies uh, that comes out faithfully um, had, was asking me uh, about um, Colleen's family and, and, and things like that, and I talked about how my mother-in-law had recently passed away and had suffered a very, very difficult process of dying. And she, she got bold and she says, you know, she said, that is what I fear the most, death. My greatest fear is death. And I had the opportunity of saying, do you know what? That is a topic that I absolutely love. I love the topic of dying. And I know everybody's looking at me right now and thinking, oh my goodness, that guy's weird. 
but that's okay. You know, when you hear the word dying, what comes to mind? Think about it for a moment. What comes to your mind when you think about dying? You know, commonly, the response is physical death, the process of dying um, due to old age or perhaps illness. Dying is the result of having something stolen from you. That's, that's often the way we look at dying. It seems, though, that each of us have this innate, uh, this innate desire for self-preservation. You know, we, we just, it's kind of built into us where we grow up learning self-preservation. But is that wrong? As I ponder this and other questions, I'm left in a quandary. It brings me back to some very basic fundamental questions. Why am I here? Am I here just for that simple purpose of living my life, being a blessing to a few people, and then dying? Is that it? So what is my purpose? What is your purpose? Perhaps you're, you know, even having that conversation or saying those words, hearing them come out of my mouth, in your own mind, you're like, yeah, I, I struggle with that. What is my purpose? You know, Immediately, when I'm pondering in my mind the whole concept of purpose, my mind went to a verse, John 10, 10. And, and, and this doesn't directly define our purpose, but it kind of guided me in this process. The thief's purpose, okay, not mine, but the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose, not mine, Jesus Christ is saying this, his purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Well, this is where it gets really confusing, especially when we read the contrast between the purpose of the thief and the purpose of Jesus Christ. So if Christ's purpose for us is to have this abundant life, where does dying fit into this? Because dying doesn't feel rich or satisfying. You know, it gets even more complex as I go on. Philippians 1, verse 21 says, For me, living means living for Christ. In that, I find that rich, satisfying life. But then he goes on. He says, dying is even better. What? Dying is better? Okay, so somewhere in here, I, I've got some things wrong. If living is the opposite of dying, and dying is something that I'm not very fond of, I believe I have a problem. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I had to come to this place of understanding, you know, what is it? When, the, when Paul talks about dying, he's not talking about the death that I am processing in my own mind. Or is he? Or is there something that is so critically important for us to understand that I'm just missing it? You know, I could talk about examples, specifically in the Old Testament, like um, Sarah, before her name was changed, Sarai. You know, she struggled with this concept of dying in the reality when hearing the promise of God, she took it upon herself and said, you know what, 
I'm, my body is dead to childbirth. So why don't you, Abram, have relations with my maidservant and have a child through her? Was that God's will? We all know it wasn't. So there was an aspect of dying that she didn't understand because she saw herself as already dead. Or how about, for the sake of time, because I know I've got so much and so little time, Numbers chapter 20. Um, in Numbers chapter 20, there's this passage of the Israelites in the wilderness, and it's a beautiful story. Um, I'm going to start at verse 4. The Israelites have blamed Moses for the fact that they no longer have water or you know, sustenance for them. And they, they cry out, verse 4, Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die? Along with all of our livestock. Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. As if all those things brought life. Were their lives not absolutely miserable in Egypt? In Egypt, under the slavery of the Egyptian people, would they have not been better off just dying there? They were on the process, on the pathway to maturity. They were on the journey to life, and they complain. So what is dying? What is it really? John 3, 30. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. But what is becoming less and less if it is not a process of dying? One of my favorite passages of the Gospels. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. I love the way it's, it's written in the Amplified, so I'm going to read it again in the Amplified. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, sometimes we forget that part, because there, there's a key aspect to that word disciple. A disciple is not just somebody who, who worships and, ha and, and um, uh, you know, where Jesus is their fan. A disciple is a disciple maker. If anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, setting aside selfish interests. He must take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and in ne if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. Isn't that powerful? Brings a different perspective to this aspect of carrying the cross. But he says daily, not just when it feels right, daily, every day, not just on Sunday, daily. 
Galatians 2.20 just brings it all together. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives. So if it's not me, then who? It's Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die in the first place. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So let me just kind of bring all these verses together. In each of these verses, there is a strong call to understand that just as Jesus carried his cross and died on it, we also need to do the same. We have to do the same. When a person carried a cross in Jesus' day, no one thought of it as a persistent annoyance or a symbolic burden. They didn't. To a person in the first century, the cross meant one thing and one thing only, death, and death by crucifixion. To carry a cross was to face the most painful, the most humiliating means of death human beings could ever develop. But 2,000 years later, today, Christians view the cross as this cherished symbol of atonement, forgiveness, grace, and love. But in Jesus' day, the cross represented a torturous death. The Romans forced convicted criminals to carry their own crosses to the place of crucifixion. Bearing a cross meant one was about to die and that one would face ridicule and disgrace along the entire journey. Therefore, when Jesus commands us, take up your cross and follow me, it is a call to self-abasement and self-sacrifice. We must be willing to die in order to follow. Let me say that again. We must be willing to die in order to follow. Dying to self is an absolute surrender to God. Luke 9, 24. If you try to hang to your life, hang on to your life, you will lose it. This whole concept of self-preservation, it doesn't work in the Christian life. And this is why it is so confusing to the world. They try so hard to gain control and dominion over us. But you know what? The dominion only happens when we try to self-preserve. But as soon as we come to this place of dying and surrender, they have no hold on us. Because Jesus does. He does. If you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the entire world, but you yourself 
are lost or destroyed. Just for a sake of um, reflection, I'm going to ask if, um, Norm, you can bring up the right cross. Why the right one? Do you know that on the cross, the man on the left ridiculed, criticized, in that moment of desperation and dying, he cursed the one who could save him. But the one on the right, in his dying moment, recognized that Jesus Christ was the only one who could actually save. And not even completely grasping or understanding the impact or the influence, he says, remember me. Remember me. We're going to sing a song. And um, actually, the worship team is going to sing a song. In this song, it starts out in verse 1. It says, Lord, I confess that I've been a criminal. Do you know, the truth of the matter is, each and every one of us, in light of eternity, we're all criminals. We deserve a criminal's death. We want eternity, we want to go to heaven, but we want to get there without dying. We can't. We have to die. We have to take up our cross. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to give you an invitation. Is there something in your life that you need to bring, not to lay it at the cross, but something in your life where you need the cross as a point of contact where you say, I need to die to this in my life. I need to take up the cross and I need to surrender it all to God. If that's you, I want to invite you to come forward. I want you to come forward and, and just as the point of reference, however you feel in your spirit, you need to do it. We need to carry the cross. There's every single one of us. We have something that needs to die in our life. Something needs to die. What needs to die in your life? What is it you're hanging on to? Because what it is you're hanging on to, that impacts and influences your identity. It impacts and influences who you are. Are you a true child of God? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Then you need to die. Then you need to die. Listen carefully as you, as you are reflecting. And I'm just going to ask you, just because there's still there's people in the, in the aisleways, just move up as close as you can. Make room for as many as possible. Reflect on the words of this song. And then there's going to be a call.
Lord, I confess that I'm far from innocent. These shackles I wear, I bought on my own.
when, um, when Jesus was speaking and the multitudes were gathering, they were coming forward, they wanted to be a follower, but they had this concept in their mind that in that committing or following of Jesus Christ, there was something that they were gonna get from it. I wanna ask you some questions. And if you can't honestly answer these questions with a yes, I'm gonna be bold. I'm gonna ask you very respectfully to just return to your seat. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your very own reputation? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your job? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means giving up your personal life? You know, in Philippians chapter 2, my, my favorite passage of the entire Bible. Verse 3, it says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others. You must have the attitude of Jesus Christ. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. But this is where it gets, gets good. Just as in the song, it reflects the aspect of our criminal, criminality, of the need to lay our sins at the cross and, and the joy of Christ's forgiveness, taking those sins and forgiving us. And the blessing of it is this, that we will have a homecoming. We will have a homecoming. We will have an arising. But you cannot have a resurrection unless there is first a dying. Therefore, God elevated him, Jesus Christ, to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. And that on the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. I didn't know where to throw this verse in, but I, I had to find a place. There is no greater love than when a man lays down his life for a friend. Dying is an act of love. It is an act of love. You cannot 
effectively love without dying. We are called to love. Love your neighbor. And when you hear that phrase, love your neighbor as you love yourself, what it's really saying is die for your neighbor as you die for, to yourself. Love your neighbor as you die to yourself. Are, we, are you ready to die? Can you, the communion mic? Before you go to your seats, I, I can imagine some of you don't have your communion elements. just want to say a quick prayer. Father God, for each and every one that has taken a stand to dying. Father God, I, I, I declare an anointing of your Holy Spirit so powerful to move on them. Father God, may there be a wind of your Spirit flowing over them. blowing over them, sparking a new fire, a fire of the Holy Spirit. Father God, as they surrender those aspects of their life that they're hanging on to, may they experience the fullness and the richest blessing that is only possible because of you, because of the cross. bless them in Jesus name. If you need to go sit down to grab your communion, feel free. If you have it, please feel free to just stay in up front. Communion. These communion elements, it couldn't be more appropriate for such a time as this. And as you grab your biscuit, the bread representing the body of Jesus Christ broken for you. I want you to visualize as you break it. I want you to break it. I want you to visualize Jesus Christ's broken body dying for you. And as you break it and reflect on it, that your body, you also need to be broken for him. You need to be surrendered for him completely oh father God I look at this bread this broken bread father God and I reflect on what you did on the cross for me and I feel so unworthy I feel so inadequate but father God it's not about me it's about you and so when you say, remember me, when you partake, you are asking us to take our eyes off of ourselves, die to self, and look up to the one who gave us life, who has raised us up into the heavenly places. Oh, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your cross, for the cross. I thank you for your broken body. And as I partake of this, I am remembering and so incredibly grateful. Let's partake together.
Father God, dying is not easy. And I know I've made many mistakes in the process. I've messed up. Time and time again, I have failed you, Lord. And I just thank you that you are a loving, forgiving Father. And I thank you that because of Jesus, you don't look at me as a criminal, but you look at me through the filter of your son, Jesus Christ, who died and made it possible that I can enter boldly before the throne of grace as your child. And I call you Abba Father, and I just adore you. And I know that it is because of Jesus' shed blood, because of what he did for me, that this is all possible. And so as I partake of this cup, I reflect and I meditate and I am in awe, in wonder of your love. And I say, thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness, for the forgiveness of my sins. And Father God, I thank you that not only have my sins been forgiven, but you have anointed me with the Holy Spirit to give me the power and the strength to daily carry my cross as I daily die to you. Let's partake together. Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been equipped. You have been anointed. You have been empowered. You have been raised up. Now go 